Welcome to The Scope by the Columbia Women's Business Society, where we feature women changing the game in business. I'm your co-host, Elise, and I serve as the Membership Engagement Chair. Today, I'm joined by Stella, a member of the Membership Engagement Committee. Hi, Elise. I'm so happy to be co-hosting today. Today on the podcast, we have Vanessa Pham, CEO and co-founder of Almsom, the daughter of Vietnamese refugees and a Bain and Company and Harvard alum. She advised Fortune 500 CPGs on their growth and retail strategy as a management consultant at Bain & Company. Prior to that, she managed a $3 million e-commerce business while studying sociology and economics at Harvard. She loves cooking all things fermented, caramelized and braised, and was recently named one of the top 100 home cooks by Airbnb. Hi, Vanessa. Let's get into it. Hey, Stella. Hey, Elise. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. So here's our first question for you. We love Omsom's vision to reclaim and celebrate Asian flavors, stories, and communities. Who are some of your biggest influences on defining this vision for your business? Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. You know, I think for me, these past couple of years, it has been so humbling to see so many incredible Asian American culture makers kind of rise and um, define so much of the kind of visibility of Asian Americans in this country. So something would be like Ali Wong. She's absolutely incredible. Um, And I, I love how she's able to shed light and educate on the nuances and multitudes within Asian America through her comedy. Um, like I have like, you know, my white friends who are like referencing what would have otherwise been dynamics within Asian America that they would have never known if it wasn't for Ali Wong, for example. So she's amazing. Simu Liu um, with his work through Shang-Chi is absolutely incredible. Um, so definitely some of the folks in Hollywood um, and then also chefs and restaurateurs. So all of our tastemakers that we work with at Omsom, I think are total trailblazers in defining how folks see these cuisines in the US and um, ensuring that folks don't think that all Asian food has to be cheap or quote unquote hole in the wall, right? Like those are the narratives at Omsom that I'm really excited about changing and evolving. And there are so many incredible Asian Americans across the country already doing that work through different art forms, whether that's cooking, um, acting, or writing. Um, Yeah, just really, really amazed at everything that's been going on. And then, of course, all the Asian-American founders in the space that I've had the privilege of becoming friends with, um, just seeing their work, like Sarah Wynn at Wynn Coffee Supply, Alessandro Rocco um, at Sanzo. Those are just dear friends of ours, and, and I'm just so amazed at the work that they do, too. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I mean, I love a lot of the people that you mentioned, and we're so impressed by Omsom and its mission, and we love Omsom's products. Like, Thank we're you. both big fans <laughs> of the company. It lives on my TikTok page, so I'm always like watching people cook with it. I'm obsessed. So kind of to shift gears, I was wondering what it was like founding a business with your sister Kim, and how did you kind of navigate this working relationship? Yeah. Honestly, I like couldn't imagine it any any other way, especially for this company that we're building, which just comes straight from the heart. I, I really, you know, I literally could not pick another co-founder besides her, um, but absolutely has it been challenging at times. And um, was it like a really big choice that we both knew were like, you know, we're signing up for this? Like, I, yeah, it took a lot of consideration. Um, and at the same time, you know, when she called me and or when we went on our hike in Bolivia, 
Um, and it kind of came up for the first time. It was also like, we've been waiting for this day. So it, it is this kind of funny feeling, but I would say like, at the beginning, there was a lot that we did have to work through as sisters to figure out our working relationship, like a lot of petty sister drama that we had to work through. Um, like things that sisters make each other feel like really insecure or that we're gonna let each other down and like feeling fear around that, feeling like we're not enough. Like that's just kind of like core to sometimes sister relationships. And I think it took a lot of us getting super vulnerable with each other at the beginning and, and even still to this day, continuing to show up in that way and being really honest about what we're feeling, what we're afraid of. And, and yeah, I, we've, it's gotten to a place where I'd say we're, we work really well together. It also helps that we're extremely different and we really, we run very different parts of the business. Like she's extremely creative. She does a lot of the storytelling and brand marketing and I'm kind of more analytical and love a long-term strategic thinker. So I do like kind of like the fundraising finance and then like sales and distribution and fundraising and, um, and like product and ops and stuff like that reports into me. So we kind of split the business differently and that helps I think having like kind of like clear wheelhouses that are separate. Yeah, I can definitely imagine. It seems good that you like bring such different things to the table. And I guess I was curious, like what was kind of the spark for founding Omsom and like what really like solidified that you wanted to start this business with your sister? Yeah, I mean, I think it was this experience of year after year going into the mainstream grocery store seeing this really sad selection of jars and bottles with really stereotypical branding like you know like pagodas and dragons and pandas and tasting these diluted flavors that i felt really not seen by i felt like it had nothing to do with asian culture um and then at the same time seeing the world around us evolving with this like renaissance around asian culture and asian cuisine in the u.s we realized like these products just like weren't cutting it anymore. Like whether you're Asian or you're not Asian, nobody was being delighted by them. And there was such an opportunity to be building a brand that actually honored and celebrated the communities and cuisines that were being represented. It was honestly the brand that we wanted as Asian Americans um, for ourselves. And we were like, let's just go out and build that and build it the right way, build it with cultural integrity um, and centering the Asian American audience in everything that we do. Um, so we set out to do that. That is absolutely so inspiring. And um, the way that you talk about just providing um, a, a brand solution to such a common struggle that the Asian American community has been dealing with is um, absolutely incredible. Um, diving a little bit more into your process of building that product. As a first-gen Vietnamese founder, what challenges have you faced on your entrepreneurship journey and how did you combat them? And do you have any specific advice for BIPOC founders and creators? Oh my gosh, how long do you have? <laughs> like literally, I could talk about this all day. Um, it's been definitely by far the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life, but also by far the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in my life and rewarding not just professionally, but also personally building something that's deeply aligned with my values, I feel like has had such positive ripple effects into the rest of my life, allowing me to show up more like the truest version of myself in different settings and then attracting people that are, you know, more aligned with those values and more aligned with the world that I want to see. So I've been really grateful for that opportunity, but it's been really, really hard. I think the challenges that 
there's all the challenges of like every day of like, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Tons of imposter syndrome. I, and quite literally, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I was 24 when I started on song. And so there's all that kind of like vertical learning curve. Like, so it's a combination of ramping up on something you have no idea how to do, try to be really good at it because your company demands that. And then on top of it, you know, lots of workload across different dimensions. That's all there. Like that's just the, that's just the founder journey. That just is, you know, but I think the area where I have found most challenging and perhaps more unique to the women of color BIPOC founder experience is a lot of the scarcity that I feel in tackling those challenges, whether that be through self-doubt, um, fear-based thinking and, um, trying to work through a lot of that because, you know, I think when I trace back the origins of some of that scarcity and fear-based thinking and therefore leading, which is like, in my opinion, the most, the least productive and, and worst for culture way of leading is fear is coming from a place of fear. Right. And so it's a very high priority personal mission of mine to continue to evolve that. But when I trace that back to its origins, it comes from being, you know, coming from an immigrant background. My parents were refugees. Like they came to the America, they came to America and just try to survive. And that was their goal. And survival is inherently kind of like fear-based hypervigilance um, based thinking where you're just looking, scanning for threats and trying to respond to those threats and reduce them. But to be a founder where you're coming from a place of conviction and possibility and um, belief in yourself and others is like not that mentality, right? So that's the work that I would say is has been core to this journey for me and has been most important in showing up as the leader that I want to be. And it's such a work in progress. Let me tell you, uh, I feel it all the time and I'm working on it all the time. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of like the biggest thing that I would say has been a challenge of mine. And in terms of advice that I'd have for folks, I would say from day one, even when you're trying to be scrappy, find a way to prioritize your development and give yourself access to the resources and mentorship and support network that you need to evolve and to grow and to show up on show up the way that you want to show up. So the ways that that looks like for me is like early on, you know, I couldn't afford an executive coach, but I was able to get a life coach. Um, and I was able to kind of like, you know, negotiate that as a really early stage founder be like, Hey, I'm still like pre-seed. Is there any way you could work with me on this? Um, I got an advisor pretty early on as well and like gave equity for that and tried to find an advisor that I felt like I could show up vulnerably around. Like that was really important to me. Um, and now I've now transitioned to an executive coach and I have a therapist, which I get through insurance. So it's like really, it's really affordable. Um, but like, and then also like I have my sister who's my co-founder and like, um, and then one of our earliest hires was the chief of staff, right? So like thinking about building out that support network through mentors, through like health, mental health professionals to whatever it may be to just like support you through this journey. I would say, I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's expensive and I, I get it, but there are ways to get the support that you need, whether it's through equity or, or whatever else. Um, and I would say prioritize it early before you think you need it, because by the time you need it, it's like almost, it's not too late. It's never too late, but it's not going to be as effective as having that foundation ready to go. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like building support systems and like networks of people that you can talk to and like 
relay your experiences is so important and that's like part of what the Columbia Women's Business Society like aims to do with like networking opportunities and we have a lot of different channels um, for people to talk about their experiences in different industries so I think that's like super important and like taking care of yourself and like I agree I like getting help before you actually need it is like super important so that you have it when you do need it um but like kind of to shift to I guess like the Columbia Women's Business Society and like being at um an age when we're in college do you have any advice I guess for like people interested in being a founder and embarking on that journey like while they're in college yeah um so I didn't start and I started when I was 24 so two years after college so I didn't start as early as college but I think it could be a really great time to explore something and to get your feet wet. Um, obviously, I did do, I did, um, I ran a business while I was in college, but I didn't kind of start one from scratch. But I think it's a great time to start to get some of that experience under your belt. And I think it was like infinitely helpful after even when I was in the workforce as a consultant. I think my experience I really drew upon. But yeah, I would say definitely, I would say go for it. Definitely try it out. I think the best things you can do are just get started on the smallest level and see where it takes you. I, the earliest things that Kim and I did when we started Onsung was actually leverage a ton of our network, some of which are from college, to start to do a lot of consumer research around getting a deep understanding of two things. On one hand, like the current state of Asian food in America, and so basically like pain points of consumers, what they really valued when it came to Asian food, um, and so getting a deep understanding of like the consumer side of things and then also the business side of things. So like where were food businesses struggling? Was it like shipping? Spoiler alert, it was like shipping and like unit economics. It was like shelf stability of food products um, and, and like making within all those constraints, making a business model that was viable and profitable were some of the big things that we learned. And I think when you're a student, it's a great time to be doing this like initial upfront research where you're trying to define what the big problem you're trying to solve is, is because on one hand with consumers, you have like tons of networks of just like people through organizations such as, as um, you know, as yours, and you can tap into that. And on the other side, people are more willing to give you your time because you're a student. So like founders like myself might be willing to talk to you or VCs might be willing to talk to you and kind of give you the download on, on both of those sides. So I would say it's a really great time to start really diving in, getting your thinking, doing research and, and using the resources at your disposal through your university to, to kind of accelerate that. That is such great advice. Um, we would love to hear a little bit more about college. Vanessa um, has any particular moment or experience um, during college really shaped your entrepreneurship journey? Mm, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I went to Harvard for undergrad and it's a liberal arts school. So I would say like from day one, and I also applied to, I applied to 10 schools. Nine of them were had business programs and one of them didn't, and it was Harvard, and I ended up going there. So I already knew going into school that I wanted to do, I want to be in business. So like from the get-go, I feel like I was trying to find ways to supplement my liberal arts education with um, like business experience. So I would say, yeah, there were two major defining things. One was being a part of Harvard Student Agencies, which is a student-run business at Harvard. I got tons of hands-on experience there that I actually found really applicable to like work that I did at Bain and even work that I do now. Um, so if your school has any opportunities like that, like they they had all kinds of businesses and you know they weren't like 
some of them weren't like scalable startups. Some of them were like the cleaners in, in Harvard Square. But like that experience is just so relevant, like running a PL, like already that's like, I think leaps and bounds ahead of kind of what other students were doing. And then the other was that I took a public speaking course at Harvard. Um, and I would say that was extremely helpful when it came to like pitching the business years down the road. So um, I would highly recommend if schools have that to take advantage of it because public speaking, it can be so daunting, but it's such an important skill and it's so applicable to even like one-on-one conversation or even what we're doing right now, you know? So yeah, definitely those. But yeah, College Vanessa was, was, I would say I was, I was really different, but I, I've evolved a lot and um, really thankful for those experiences. Yeah, no, that's I hadn't even thought about like taking a public speaking class, but I think that's so important and definitely a skill to like build up now so that you have it in the future. And um, yeah, so important. And I hadn't really thought about that. Um, And then also, I guess I was curious, like, I know you've had extensive experience in strategy and consulting, and I was wondering, I guess, how that work experience provided you with skills in establishing OMSOM or kind of how that experience has related to like your current journey. Yeah, I would say it was it was a really, really important and helpful two years um, that I spent at Bain. I'm really glad I did it. And I think it did make a meaningful difference for me to do that before I started my company. Um, some of the biggest things that was helpful, obviously this like analytical toolkit of like being proficient in Excel, but more importantly, being able to understand how data is a means of like storytelling and being able to work with numbers in a way where you're able to understand key insights, actionable insights, and then also use that information to tell a compelling story is something that I do as a founder a lot. Um, Storytelling through data is kind of like what I do when I'm pitching. And then cleaning insights is what I do like every day when I'm trying to learn from what we've done and be better for the future or inform key strategic decisions for the future. So really critical, that skill set. That being said, like you don't need it to be a founder. You can definitely find that in a co-founder or some people bring on like COOs or VP of ops or VP of finance can supplement that for you. Um, But I found it to be really helpful myself and it, it is, critical to, I would say, my style of running a business, which is very data-driven and and analyses-driven. And then the other piece is, I would say, just in general, I think consultants and and people who are defining strategy have the ability to look at things today, um, performance today, learnings today, and understand implications on like longer-term strategic decisions and think about long-term goals and work backwards from those goals and figure out what needs to be done today, tomorrow, two years from now to get to that long-term goal, which I think is a big part of being a founder of just like, okay, I, I, I'm not like relentlessly outcomes driven because I think that then doesn't leave room for serendipity and like organic uh, traction and momentum, but like kind of finding that dance of like, okay, broadly speaking, where do we want to be in five years? And like, how do we get there? And how do we build the business every day to move in that direction loosely, I think is an important skill. So being, having experience in strategy and consulting has been definitely helpful for that. That being said, there's also tons of things that I had to unlearn after I left consulting to be a good founder as well. So I would say like, don't, don't, you know, blindly take that skill set and just apply everything because 
for example, having a bias towards action and execution is really important as an early stage founder with few resources. So you don't want to take the like kind of airtight consultant approach that you do because you have thousands of thousands of dollars of budget for your large clients and because you're trying to convince like old school corporations how to do things. It's like very different. So you need to be very flexible in what you take and what you leave behind. I love what you said about unlearning. And I also found this idea of like storytelling uh, with data so interesting because usually I feel like people would celebrate like separate math and the humanities or like data people versus human people. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned that you are, you define yourself as a Hartford leader. Um, Could you expand a little bit more on that? Yes. So first I'll just touch on what you said um, and then I'll, I'll answer your question. One thing I'll say last on that point is like from day one, even when I was like a freshman at Harvard, I always wanted to be at the intersection of the date of data and numbers and then also like taking a very human first approach to everything which is why I studied sociology and economics at Harvard and even in in terms of like how I aim to communicate I never want to stop at the numbers I think that's kind of the least persuasive thing you can do I think the most persuasive things you can do is use the numbers as a starting point jumping off point and underpinning and then be extremely empathetic in your interpretation and presentation of those numbers to your audience and what their angles are and and you know what they're trying to understand what matters most to them and I always try to do that in every communication um, as as a founder but yeah so that's really important I think in terms of my approach and then as it relates to being a leader and being a heart forward leader yeah what I mean by that is I think that there's this very antiquated notion that in the workplace, there's not room for our full selves. And I think that's a huge limitation of the of the ability of businesses to unlock people's full potential. Like our full potential doesn't just lie in our ability to crunch numbers or to communicate this or that about a business. I think it lies in our ability to meaningfully connect with others and motivate others from a place of care and connection. And I, as a leader, try to show up as my full self, talk about my personal life, share vulnerable things that I'm really afraid of. And, and I hope that, you know, that inspires others to do the same at Ensemble. And I think what it allows for is, is a, and it, hopefully an experience where people feel seen and cared for in the workplace. Um, and, and I think that's so core to the work that we do. Like we try to do that with our brand and our brand story externally, but like, I want to do that internally as well. And I think that unlocks all of our ability to do that better for the brand and for our broader community. So yeah, it's something I think a lot about. I do a lot of work on, on my own time. And I actually defined a leadership manifesto. Like I wrote it uh, maybe a couple of months ago and it's on my personal website because I'm trying to hold myself accountable to it externally. And with my team, I, when anybody joins the team, I walk them through it. Um, and I'm, I'll tell them, I, I don't show up this way every day. Like, I wish I did, but I don't. But I'm showing you this so that you can hold me accountable to it. And I can continue to strive um, to be that heart forward leader that I'm trying to be. I love that so much. I mean, 
like that attitude I feel like is so important and not a lot of people have it and I mean you see you're an incredible leader and like it's evident and like that really honestly struck a chord like that's very like moving that you have that on your page and are holding yourself accountable because not enough people do that um you also mentioned at the beginning that you majored in economics and sociology and I guess I was curious if you could give us as like college students advice about choosing your major or just like enjoying college in general. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, I mean, in my experience, and, and maybe this is because I didn't go to a technical school, I think that's probably why. So take this with a serious grain of salt, but I didn't feel like it really dictated my outcomes. It, I just wasn't studying. If I was studying like computer science, I definitely think that would you know probably more inform my career trajectory. But because I was like interested in business more broadly, I felt like I could have pretty much spun any story around my majors. And so I ultimately just chose what I was most interested in and what, you know, I felt like would inform my life beyond beyond the, my profession alone. Like that was one of my motivations. I wasn't just like, okay, how do I turn this into a career? Like that was part of it. But also what do I find deeply fascinating? What will shape my own internal moral structure, what will raise really important questions in terms of my value system. Like I wanted that in my my academic um, experience as well. Um, so that was part of what I was asking myself as I was picking. And then the other thing I would say is, again, beyond just like the most clear goal of like, okay, how will this inform my profession? I would encourage you to have higher level demands of your education. And for me, one of them was, how will this how to start this how will this shape the way that my mind works in a way that i think is advantageous and more reflective of who i want to be and what i mean by that is like i chose i specifically chose sociology and economics because they touch on a lot of the same concepts but they don't come at, at it from the same angle and i felt like that would shape my mind in a way where i would be at a fundamental level, more open to understanding different ways of seeing the same problem and and constantly challenging anything that comes my way from a place of like critical analysis and critical thinking. Because quite literally, I would be studying the same theory or concept from the lens of sociology and from the lens of economics, and they would be like, have completely different rationale for the same, um, I guess, like key takeaway, or they would just directly contradict with one another and I would have to make sense of it in my own mind, right? That is such a valuable exercise that I think we can do every day in this world and to have that kind of practice and building that muscle through my education I thought was extremely valuable and I think has led to perhaps a more dynamic way of thinking. So yeah, I almost would encourage y'all to like push your, your goal with your education to like a higher, kind of like a higher degree of of objectives of like on a personal level and just like a kind of more intellectual, not just like career-based um, kind of outcome. So that's that. And then enough about that because having fun is a very important question. Um, I'm, yeah, I think one thing I'll say is like, as you can see, I'm definitely like an analytical mind. I, I care a lot about my career. I have a very, you know, ambitious. And I think it's so, so, so important to, always be prior prioritizing your day-to-day experience of your life feeling a strong connection to pleasure and joy meaningful connection with other people 
I've never, like, I've always been a proponent of making that one of the most important things in my life. And so, yeah, in college, I always made time for that. I made just as much time for that as I did my academics. And I don't regret it at all. Like, there's not a day where I regret it. So I really, really encourage you to take full advantage of that, whether that's, like, joining organizations, like, going out, meeting new people, investing in those relationships, um, whether it's with, like, other students or even professors or whatever. Like I, yeah, I just, I really, really encourage that. And I was involved in a ton of things on campus and they honestly taught me just as much as I learned in the classroom. Yeah, that's incredible advice. And I feel you, I'm an economics and women's gender studies major. So like radically different perspectives on similar issues and topics. Um, I love that. Yes. So, and I think Stella is actually a sociology major. So. Oh, yay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Amazing. Now let's get into our quick takes. Name your favorite dish from your childhood. Easy. Boon Ba Hue. It's a Vietnamese lemongrass beef noodle soup. It's like spicy beef noodle soup. The second one is, who is a woman that you look up to? Definitely my sister. Um, I think she is a creative mastermind, and I'm always learning from her way of thinking. Amazing. And then the last one is, if you had to choose your favorite Amsam product, what would it be? Oof. It's got to be the Vietnamese lemongrass barbecue, um, which is also called Pit Nung in Vietnamese. It really tastes homemade. It just reminds me of growing up in family barbecues in the summer, and nothing can kind of uh, can kind of replace that type of emotional connection. Amazing. And that's it for the CEO and co-founder of Amsam, Vanessa. Visit their website, amsam.com, to learn more and try some of their amazing pantry staples. We hope you love it as much as we do. Thank you all for listening. You can find a transcribed version of this interview in our Scope newsletter. If you're not yet subscribed to the Scope, please subscribe at our website, columbiawomensbusinesssociety.org, under the For Students tab. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at columbiacwbs, and as always, reach out if you have any questions or want to get involved. I hope you all have a great rest of your day.